If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to Crypto with Accountant CWA, podcast powered by Bitwave, where we talk with technologists and crypto enthusiasts as we discuss current events in economy, politics, technology, and digital assets with thought leaders from around the world, hosted by Pat White, who is a CEO and co-founder of Bitwave, the only back-office digital asset solution for enterprise digital asset accounting, finance, and tax, and Rafael Casas, VP of Business Development here at Bitwave. This is an exciting day because this is the inaugural podcast with a very special guest. Our amazing guest is one of the most influential individuals in the digital assets world. Ron Coranta currently serves as chairman and CEO of Wall Street Blockchain Alliance, the world's leading nonprofit trade association promoting the comprehensive adoption of blockchain technology in crypto assets across global markets. Ron is the editor and contributing author of the book Blockchain in Financial Markets and Beyond, Ron was also named to the top 100 most influential people in the accounting industry by Accounting Today in 2018. Uh, And so we're really, really excited to have these amazing folks on today. And thank you for joining and tuning in. Great to have you here. Raphael, thanks for having me, Pat. Thanks for having me. It's a privilege. It's really a privilege to be on the inaugural episode, uh, particularly because I'm not an accountant. um, But I... (laughs) I spent an unbelievable amount of time with accountants, but it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to the chat. Pat, it's it's too long, been too long, brother. It's been too long. You know, and I'll say I'm also not an accountant, but I, I definitely play one on TV and I've spent <laughs> now an enormous amount of my life learning ASC rules and things like that. So it's uh I we we're kind of in that same boat there. But yeah. perhaps it takes a non accountant to uh to really examine the industry <laughs> to yeah. bring an outside fresh perspective on it. Well, Ron, yeah. no, I'm, I'm excited uh, as well, buddy. I mean, this is, you know, you and I have gotten to do a few podcasts and I, I it's fun because we've done webinars and podcasts and things like that. And I always, it's, I'm always on the other side of the, of the table here, which is I'm being interviewed. You're, you're always asking me the questions today. We get to turn it around. And I get to ask you all the hard questions. Me and Raphael get to ask you all the hard questions. So, so I'm in trouble. Yeah, you boy, boy, <laughs> howdy! I hope you prepared for this uh, for the party here. Uh, but this should be this should be really fun. I mean, we will. And Ron, the thing I like about you, of course, is that is that you cover all the things that we just talked about. So it's not like we're just going to talk about accounting. We yeah. are like you do cover digital assets through the economic impact, through regulatory, congressional actions. You know what's happening in the uh, House Intelligence Committee. We can we can we can cover it all here. So this will be yeah. You know, it's interesting, Pat, because uh, you and I have been to so many meetings. I'm very privileged to sit across a pretty wide range of different industry verticals. And you know, I come out of financial markets as as you guys know, but just to be able to expand my mindset, talking to accountants and lawyers and technologists it's it's been a really fun ride i i like accountants it's one of those really funny things like i think because i'm a i'm an engineer by training uh Hmm. and i really like accountants i find there's a lot of similarities between accountants and engineers i think there's you know there's there's obviously sort of attention to detail and that kind of thing which is you know as an engineer you have to have a high level of attention to detail but then there's also accountants good accountants and i'm not sure i'd say this for every single account i've ever met but like really good accountants also are very uh, they're very aware of materiality. And so yes. it's, and it's the same with like really good engineers. Like there's there's a saying that I use all the time with the engineers and our staff, which is, you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of good enough. And I think that's like the best accountants also have a very similar mentality, which is like it's attention to detail to exactly the point 
the best accountants, the best engineers have incredible attention to do it to detail to exactly the point they need to and no further. And that's like, it's one yeah. of the skills that you kind of develop uh, both as a good accountant, as a good engineer is under is like, is calibrating that point where you stop worrying, where like you've, you've reached a material threshold and you're like, okay, like we could get this perfect, but you know what? Let's move on with our lives because life's too short to tie out to the night. In the Bitcoin world, life is too short to tie out to the 18th decimal point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Pat, that's really interesting. Because, and I agree with that point. I, you know, you and I, I get to talk to a lot of accountants, a lot of lawyers and beyond. I, I, I am not an accountant, but I'm interested in account. I married my accountant. So that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but, but it is interesting because when you talk about the accounting industry, a lot of people in the past have been, well, very stodgy. They don't really innovate. The accounting groups that I've seen and the accounting folks participating are some of the most innovative minds that I've met in this ecosystem. Which oh, is yeah. Really I think that ties into what you're talking about. Is, is there a part of it that like, so is there a part of it I wonder that's, that's that accounts aren't always looked to to innovate? Like you're not asking your accountant often to do a lot of innovative stuff. And even the, the other day we were working on our, you know, we just did a webinar all about the FASB updates. Sure. And I and it's funny because I, I asked when we were doing our prep work for the webinar, I asked the guests, I said, hey, so when was like, can you guys give me an analogy of the last time there was a major FASB change like this mm. that we could use to anchor as like, hey, we can't talk about what the crypto FASB changes are going to look like because that's forward looking and, 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 you know, all this kind of stuff that goes into that. But here's what happened when FASB changed the rules on option on option recognition and or, you know, whatever it was. And like, it's funny because they both kind of scratched their heads in a way that like, oh, this doesn't really happen all that often. Like, there's not really that many times that, that you add that, like, there's so much innovation in a space that's out kicking, that's outstripping, outpacing the, 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 the standard setters. And yet crypto is that space. And so I wonder if there is this aspect that's just like, you know, a lot of accounts don't get asked to do really innovative stuff every now and again. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's part of it. I think the other aspect of this that's really impactful to the accounting industry, when you look at the things that have happened in the accounting industry, you know, leaving crypto off the table, going back a few years, it wasn't, you know, Ron and Pat made some money on this innovation. Hey, Mr. and Mrs. Accountant, help me. It was, you know, it was the larger accounting firms. It, it was mm-hmm. it was larger institutions that had things around ref- re- revenue recognition, et cetera. The innovation, Pat, that you and I have seen around crypto assets was almost the groundswell of and I hesitate to use the word the retail customers. Yeah. So when you don't, when you get hundreds of thousands and now millions of retail customers saying, "What do I do?" That was really kind of a grassroots evolution for the accounting profession. So I, I take your point and I agree. And I think a lot of this was, holy cow! Like a lot of people are doing this. The accounting profession needs to evolve. And I think in many regards, they've successfully done that. I'll, I'll oh, compare yeah. that to like you know, Pat. Compare that to the insurance industry. You know what? Not making fun of any insurance companies. <laughs> never, never. Would never say anything bad about insurance. Never companies. say anything bad about insurance. <laughs> never. <laughs> right, but you know, I mean, I'm still getting carbon copies of paper from insurance companies, and so I, you know, to that point, I think the accounting profession really is working hard to evolve, and that's important. I, I tried to. I, the my insurance company uh, offered me a discount to switch to billing, uh, paper to switch off of paper billing, <laughs> and I've done it like every every month. I try and fail. Like there's a website, you click on it and it like, I failed to be able to just switch off a of paper billing, even though they offer me money to do it. It's the most bizarre thing in the entire world. Well, their websites are designed from like a 1998 browser. <laughs> it's a, still running Exactly. And I know like even for Bitwave here, I know we're, we're, we kind of dove in, we're getting a little bit off topic, but even for Bitwave, like our first, our first major partners were not 
uh, they, it wasn't Deloitte, like Del, you know, no. it wasn't it wasn't those guys as our, were our first major partners. Like our first major partners were little sole proprietors, like people that just sort of hung up a shingle and said, "Hey, this crypto stuff's kind of fun. Like, uh, I wanna I wanna do accounting for crypto companies." And like, oh no, there's no tools for it. Like, hey, oh Bitwave, hey, here's a tool for this stuff. So it's yeah. it's this really interesting aspect that like it did it, the innovation all really did happen from the from the bottom up in these yeah. in these situations, which is spectacular. And, and think about what that means for Bitwave, right? And, and in fairness to other vendors, but you know, Bitwave now has this almost trusted provider perspective for a lot of those grassroots kind of folks. Because previously, they had nowhere to go, and they weren't going to be able to go. They're not going to H&R Block. They're not going to go to PwC. Right. <laughs> but but to, be, to see that there are vendor providers out there doing the hard work is, you know, you guys are part of that evolution. You, well, and that's, you are, that's a super good point, because it was... It wasn't like a throw it over the fence. Like it was, it was going to battle with these folks. Like three right. years ago, when we were, you know, the, when we were trying to figure out what to do about DeFi, it was, it was literally, you know, us and our sole proprietors in in the trenches. You know, it's like uh, what nineteen seventeen. I mean, it's, it was like literally in the trenches, getting air. getting air bombed by by the IRS constantly, with no yep. idea what to do, and just figuring all of this stuff out together and trying to like read ether scan together and things like that. So it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going well, to one, war. Uh, one positive yeah. thing that I can say that I've seen in the past several years, you know, three to five years from the accounting community is that they're really focused on innovation as a group. You know, they're, they're, there's a yep. lot of organizations and community, you know, outside of just innovation beyond technology. So that's been really, really inspiring, inspiring to see. And I think actually that kind of segues into um, something, Ron, that I wanted to ask you, you know, it, kind of what your journey was getting into this crypto space and inspired you to kind of get so deep in, in here because, you know, you're, you're really an inspiring individual in this space. And so I'd like to understand Thank your you. journey to get there. Raphael, thanks for that. And Pat, by the way, that was that was Raphael getting us back on course because you I, and it's, I... Yeah, it's ex expert, expert, expert host right there. Exactly. So Raphael, I, I appreciate the question. So I, so I, this is my almost 11th year in the crypto space. Uh, I'm also, I come out of financial markets and financial tech as, as Raphael, you know, this is my 33rd plus year in financial tech. I'll share with you that the past 10 years is where the gray hair came in as I probably told <laughs> so, you. So this is your 30, 30th year in, in, in fintech. Yeah, I, I started in 33. I started working in 1989. What, what was the, what was your first, I mean, not to, not to derail also, but what was your first, what was like the first fintech thing you worked on? What, what was, what was fintech in 1989? Oh my God. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so we're, they were like, I, up until like five years ago, they were still shipping, shipping tapes around to do ACHs. So I'm like, I, I need a drink to answer that in its entirety. <laughs> but I'll tell you that one of the first big projects I worked on for a company a long time ago was literally the migration from dot based terminals to, to windows. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's which, super fun. Which ate two years of, of COBOL programmers banging their head against the wall <laughs> And telling me, and I'm not kidding, Pat, that no one will give a crap about Windows and green screen terminals will be here forever. That was literally how it all started for me. In, in their defense, there are still green screen terminals at like yeah. most airports have at least a couple of green screen terminals still sitting around. So like in their defense, they were not wrong, if perhaps a bit uh misguided yeah and the I, government I mean, is still using be, cobalt right <laughs> and the yeah, government still uses it you could probably count on two hands the number of cobalt programmers that are that are left out there and get the code which is the majority of a lot of government and banking code yeah um so we can go down that rabbit hole i got involved in the crypto space Raphael. back to your question it was really interesting uh so i spent a, uh, several years at a company that you probably know thompson reuters uh, i was their head of exchange trading for the americas for a bit and uh 
a salesman on my team had left. And about a year later, so this is about 2013, maybe early 2014, he calls me up. And I know this sounds like a joke. I, I promise you this literally happened. And he calls me up on his cell phone and he says, Ron, I, I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> and like, if you come out of the financial services world and someone calls you on their cell phone, which for all I know is a burner phone and tells me they're in trouble, that's really not a conversation I want to have. So like I practically hung up and he's like, no, no, you don't understand. We've got a we've got a client that wants me to invest in something called crypto, and I think it's called Bitcoin. But a buddy of mine thinks it's illegal. What do I do? That is that's a true story. And at first, I'm like, I don't I don't know you. Who is this? You know, wrong number. Um, <laughs> so, so, if you're the police, you have to you have to identify yourself. You yeah, exactly. That, right? <laughs> exactly. So you know, I spent a bunch of time researching it, and obviously by 2013, 2014, 2015, I had colleagues colleagues in financial markets that were aware uh, and really looking at the decentralized aspect of it because we all grew up in the financial services world knowing friction yeah right like literally the the entirety of my early jobs in wall street was i'm the person who's supposed to spot friction and then write a report about it or, yeah. or remove the friction so when you see that level of innovation that's kind of what started me down the rabbit hole personally that's um, so interesting that's yeah. so that's so interesting it's so astute it's so astute like it actually does it's funny to 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 bring this to somewhat current events. Uh, it, so if you've watched the Bernie the Bernie Madoff, like I actually didn't know a lot about Madoff's early days uh, as a market maker and as a as a trading house before you know before all the everything went down. But I, I it's funny because that was a lot of the early proposition for his for his company was basically it was friction. It was could you go from T two it was T two week settlement to T three day settlement well, yeah. using using this newfangled green screen computer thing on on that, which I I hadn't really realized that, and that's super interesting that then. You're then one of your original takes in this was then okay. Well, can we go from T three to you know everything's like frictionless across the board? Yeah, you know, and a lot of the trading we were involved in was also international trading, so it's it's also very jurisdictional. Oh, you know, yeah. I'll give you an example. Back in early nineties, if you were trading international securities in say India, for example, we had T three here, T five at one point, then T three, and it was T thirty. The thirty in wow. India, so literally, it would take because they were like days. mailing mailing paper certs back and forth, things like that. They're mailing paper certs back and forth. The registration for these are on paper books, depending on where oh the company was domiciled. So imagine both the friction there from a technology well, lack of technology perspective and the risk. Yeah, what happens if that gets lost? You, at T thirty, I mean, you almost have to have insurance. Like, I like I, I wouldn't say title insurance, but whatever the whatever the equivalent of title insurance is for brokerage is, you almost have in, have insurance at that point because like they're like half of those deals will will or like maybe like a quarter of those deals will go belly up in thirty days. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the brokerage firms and the exchanges at that domicile, and there were other countries like that as well, had some level of quote unquote insurance, but. That's as good as their ability to enforce and, yeah. and monitor that insurance, you know? Wow, that's super. So that's, that's funny because it's, that, it makes me so happy that you said that because that's not, it's, it's not normally the answer a lot of people give for why they got into crypto. It's, yeah. it's the reason that I love crypto. It's the reason like we at Bitwave love crypto. Right. Is this idea of, of basically, I always describe it as like, you know, there's this 3% tax and whether that tax like whether that tax is a literal tax or it's 3% because a Indian exchange is holding your money for 30 days. Like there's a 3% tax that the financial services industry tends to, to put on the world. And crypto is one way for us to basically get rid of that tax in a pretty safe way. That's super interesting. I, I didn't realize that was a background. Oh, I'm so happy we're doing this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this no, it's really a lot cool. of fun. And, and you know, the, the last thing I'll add to that real quickly, Pat, is that um, 
I was one of the folks who got involved in crypto from Wall Street that wasn't looking to be a yeah, I didn't look at it and say, holy crap, Joe Coin, I'll, I'm going to become a billionaire on, on Joe Coin or whatever it may be. I literally looked at it from the technology solution first. And the problem now is I have family members wondering why I don't have a million Bitcoin locked <laughs> in my heart. I was going to say, that was like me too, because like, like, you, like you and I are the only billion, not, not billionaires in here that have been yeah. around since like 2010. So, so maybe yeah. we did it wrong. <laughs> I, I yeah, let's not hope that. <laughs> I, I I tend to be over more optimistic than pessimistic, so I t I try not to look backwards and be like, "Holy crap, Ron, you should have got out of Terra Luna earlier," <laughs> or you know, I, I just but but I, I get the point. But that's what you know, being too much in that prohibits at least me from looking at the next opportunity. Yeah, yeah, these are very nice. that, you know? like great lessons learned because I think. You know, this we're helping the next generation of folks get in from a business perspective. I know Pat and Ron, you're super passionate about that. Of like, you know, ultimately, I had this discussion of with partners of we're in the really in the business of helping the ecosystem succeed. You know, and I think something yeah. that really that's really fascinating that you're working on that Pat's going to be involved in that we'd like to kind of share a little bit more about is the you know WSBA sure. Digital Asset Industry Principles Initiative, and I'd love to learn more about that. I know. I think that's going to be a, you know, a really, really important uh, piece of framework for many different verticals in this yeah. industry as a whole. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit. And if you don't mind, Ron, before you say, like, how did you start the WSB or how did you get like the, how, what, what's the inception there? And then tell us about like the most recent. Yeah. So a WSB had launched. So the conversation <clears throat> going back to 2014 brought us to former salesperson who called me, you remember all of that. Uh, and I I remember having lunch with a bunch of colleagues that, that were Wall Street colleagues, a couple of bankers, um, probably an unhealthy number of attorneys, one or two attorneys at the lunch. And and they're, you know, the conversation really pivoted to <clears throat> what's the trade association that can help the evolution of this? Or what's the safe space to kind of have these conversations? Because up until that point, Pat, and you remember it was Go to this conference. Go to this incubator downtown New York or in Seattle. Well, and the conference, I'd be like, Rod, I always joke because the first conference that I went to was uh, World Crypticon in Vegas. Yes. And it was, I, I won't besmirch anyone's good name, but like there was there was a floor of the convention center. It was just Lambos. Like they weren't for sale. They just brought in 15 Lambos to put on the floor of this convention center. It's like, guys, like, what are we doing here? Like, what? Yeah, this yeah. Isn't, like, why are there 15 Lambos here? They're like, ah, oh, they're awesome. Like, well, okay. I guess that's fine. Everyone was wearing a cowboy hat. Cowboy hats were super in back then. It was just a oh, different yeah. world. Do you remember the American flag denim jackets? That's okay. which are all over them? the place. Because there's suddenly advocates of freedom. And and look, I, I get that perspective. But when you're like in that group I was talking about, lawyers, bankers, Wall Street, if I walked into an event center with them, and there's 10 Lamborghinis sitting there with a bunch of guys in cowboy hats, they're probably turning around and walking out. <laughs> like, oh, right? this is not, not exactly my scene. Not exactly my scene. And there's probably a regulator who wants to get a picture of me at this scene. And I don't want to <laughs> think You know, so when you look at it in that context, a lot of our, our foundational mission was to pull in stakeholders in the ecosystem. And given our name, Wall Street Blockchain Alliance, it, it's who you thought, right? It was, it was bankers and traders and investment houses, lawyers, certainly. But, you, you know, Pat, going back to when you all became members and were privileged to have Bitwave as a member of the WSBA, it, it's, a so, it's so much bigger an ecosystem. It is accountants and technologists and cybersecurity people and folks focused on ESG. So, so Raphael, getting back to your question, that was the genesis of WSBA. What's the safe space to do that? The immediate answer really became a not-for-profit trade association, right? We don't buy or sell crypto. We don't invest in crypto startups. We, I'm not even allowed to take member dues in crypto yet, although I, I, I'm going to have to talk to the board about that at some point. 
But being that not-for-profit trade association gave us the opportunity for the the conversations that needed to happen. You know, everyone uses the phrase, the grown-ups in the room. And I, I, I kind of don't like that phrase, but at least the responsible people from different industry verticals who know what needs to happen to evolve. And once we did that, we launched more publicly in early 2016, and here we are. It's, it's a funny phrase because... Well, there's there's a lot of those phrases that have uh, they haven't the phrase that hasn't really aged well, and that's I guess because it's it has that like it kind of reeks a little bit of ageism, but yeah. at the same time it also is like the exact right thing because there are some it is there needs to be people in the room who are taking this stuff seriously who are not in it for rocket emojis they're in it because right. it's going to fundamentally change how we kind of operate how money moves around the world how we do business True. so like it, it yeah it's there's a few phrases like that haven't they haven't quite aged well but no. <laughs> But I mean, it really, it, the problem with those phrases, Pat, I'd love your perspective on this, and Raphael, you as well. Those phrases pop up, and they're really meant to address how do we bridge the world we're trying to get to with the world that currently exists. Right. Right. And, you know, we could talk about FTX all day long, but when you look at some of the examples of how poorly some things run, just from the, 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 the cursory reading that I've given some of it, and experienced people who understood things like corporate reporting or the stuff you and I talk about, Pat, might have avoided that. Yeah. So a lot of this, and I agree with you, they don't, some of them don't age well, but it doesn't negate the whole, how do we get the new world thinking together with the old world? Let's not blow things up. This this one was like, and this one, the FTX one, not to go too far off topic here, was not like, it didn't need a deep expert in this stuff. Like anyone who knew these things even remotely well, you know, could have brought some controls onto this and, and been completely fine. That's right. But yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll, I hopefully we'll spend a little bit of time talking about the other side of this because it is, it is a yeah. fun one in our in our world. All yeah. right. Well, we were talking about the newest initiative, though. That was that's where we were. Yes. Right. So, um, in the wake of <laughs> where do we begin? Uh, FTX and and Celsius and Voyager and before that, Three Arrows. Uh, Pat, a lot of the conversation in WSBA and across the, the the different parts of the membership, you know, and other associations and other groups have kind of referenced this this lack of an almost ethical perspective on how to do business in this space. Um, and I might be overstating or overusing the word ethical, but the, the, the WSBA's Crypto Industry Principles Project is really designed to help create the structure of a framework of ethical principles, of, of a moral perspective on if you're going to be a responsible player in this ecosystem you should be willing to do the following. And a lot of this isn't going to be prescriptive per se. It's not going to be, you must be audited on next date by this company with this technology. And, you know, the, the principles will launch uh, and we're targeting launching those in early February. Pat, you and Bitwave team, we want you at that table. Um, and in fairness, we'll be opening it up to other industry participants as well. Large oh, yeah. banks, large broker dealers, members or not. It's meant to be in other trade associations. It's meant to be an industry conversation that points to how do we want to play in this world? Yeah. And how do we want to play in this world in a way that enables us to understand the best benefits of the technology, maybe opens up the best benefits of here's the best, here's the way to use crypto assets to evolve global markets and help things like the unbanked and underbanked, for example, or payments. And in a way that also gives us the protections the world expects, right? You need to protect investors. Yep. You need to protect people who are getting, you know, receiving remittances in, in overseas, for yeah. example. And I think we're, our belief is that the, that framework will be the start of that that global conversation. But I'll even add, I mean, one of the one of the things that I tend to think about this is, and it's, it's like, it's what annoys me so much about FTX in some ways mm. is that, yeah, we're we're in this world where you see crypto players as bad actors, yeah. and 
and so then everyone just thinks crypto is is full of bad actors. But at the end of the day, like I tend to think when I think about institutional adoption of digital assets, I think that they have a that that institutions actually have a lot to learn from digital asset companies. Like some of the stuff that the digital asset companies are doing around proof of reserves, proof of, like we call it polar inside a bitway, the proof of liabilities and reserves. But this idea of of being fully transparent of your assets and your liabilities is. Uh, we we kind of take it for granted because we've been doing it for a while and it just makes sense and there's a blockchain, all this kind of stuff. Could you imagine if 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 you could do that for Bank of America and actually right. like really see, I mean, not and obviously the the banking regulators can do this, but if you as an individual could go to their website and see exactly what their assets are, you could double check that by going to an independent third party, you know, bank explorer, call it a bank explorer. Uh, you can see exactly what their assets are. You could see exactly what their liabilities are. I mean, this idea that there's there is really innovative things that we in the industry are doing around transparency and around visibility into this that I actually think the traditional financial institutions have a lot to learn from. Like if you are my my argument probably is like let's say five, ten years from now, if you're a bank and you are not doing some sort of proof of reserves, I'd actually be like a proof of liabilities and reserves. I'd right. actually be really surprised. Like, I think that you're going to see certain things like this get backported to traditional financial financial institutions. And in there, like, but in order for that to happen, like everyone has to get to the table and they have to start learning from us about what's cool. And we have to learn from them about what a control is, I guess. Like yeah. What, a, what an internal I, control is. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Pat, I agree with you. And I certain I agree with the philosophy of the perspective that you and I have. I, I, I think part of the challenge is there's this trade-off between, um, particularly for the incumbents, between transparency and sufficiency. And what I mean by that is, you and I come from, well, we certainly grew up in a world where transparency isn't replete around the world in every institution. And let's, you know, not to bash banks too much. or <laughs> our, our best friends. <laughs> our best friends, you know, and we've got banking members, so I'll shut up soon. But, you know, the, there is an, an inherent interest for a lot of the incumbents not to have that level of transparency. Right. Right. And, and there are a variety of reasons. I'm not necessarily trying to paint a picture of this kind of nefarious activity, but the vast majority of, of the populace wouldn't understand fractional reserve banking. Right. So transparency into the banking system in the United States would aid them little. I, I think I think, you know, this is a very long term sweeping part of history conversation. Right. Yeah. Because 100 years from now, how our descendants engage in banking and, and interact with the world and exchange value is going to be very different than me wondering whether or not the government's solvent and there's going to be a raise of the debt ceiling. Yeah. Um, but but it, it's those two competing perspectives, and that's part of the challenge. That's what makes regulators say, crypto's bad, it's got to go away. Um, but it's what makes the adherents of innovation understand that this is part of evolution. Well, I'd say now the the other side of that though is I'll is I'll I, not not that I'm going to argue with you because you're 100 percent right, but let me let me offer a little bit of a devil's advocate, which is that. Sure. Uh, when we when we're sitting in a one percent, I mean, right now is kind of a funny time with higher interest rates. But essentially, the the world is kind of going to centralize around very very low interest rates with periods of periods of inflation that then that then the majority of our lives are spent in low interest rate situations. Yeah, in a in a one percent or less. I mean, my bank gives me zero percent interest. I mean, maybe point zero one or something. Um, why are we doing fractional reserve banking in a, in a place where I don't actually get any benefit off of it? Yeah. And so the, at the point at which you're doing a, uh, where the, the, it's the profits of the bank that are coming purely off the fractional reserve, but nothing back to the stakeholders. If you think about this in terms of like a comp competitive environment, 
then you'll the the faster we get away from making money on the spread to making money on on value add services for the clients the better we'll be so even even in fractional reserve like there is a real world where i i actually tend to think that that it's not that it's a dying industry but it is a uh it's gonna face competition you know over the long term Look, and you, you see that happening today, and it, it's it you know this is all publicly available information. Any major bank is paying point one or point one two, whatever it may be, you know. And but a Robin Hood, which is which, which targets a very different demographic and a younger generational shift, is offering four percent APY on cash deposits. So never before in history have, to your point, participants in the in the global economy had the opportunity to be as mobile as they can be now and I, I think blockchain and crypto is going to accelerate that oh yeah 100 percent. oh yeah and that i mean that's that's the, the dream of crypto is full full uh transportability of all of your assets from stocks yeah. everything else because okay. i mean it's it, like it's a pain in the ass to move from td ameritrade to e-trade like yeah, they, they don't make it too bad like you but you are filling out you know 20 pages of of paperwork to do it signing stuff i had to fax something in the last time i did a movement like that uh, and to be able to do that with one click is is obviously a much different world. <laughs> and, and look at the other look at the other verticals that that impacts. Right, think real estate. Think, yeah. You know, we joke about real estate. I live in a small town in central New Jersey. The registry of my title of the deeds to my house rather sits in a giant book in a basement in a building from 1832. <laughs> and and you know it's all quaint until you realize, holy crap, this is a real pain in the neck. Yeah. 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 There was a, there was two points that you both had made, you know, web two learning from web three, web three learning from web two. And that was something that I think Ron and I, you and I have discussed in the past of basic fundamentals that, you know, web three companies need to come from controls to basic back office to, you know, the right departments, just things that you should follow to make sure you're successful. And that was something that you and I discussed, we shared about with martial arts, for instance, with, you know, I <laughs> were in jujitsu for a long time and the guys that were the most successful were really just really good at basics. You know, they weren't doing anything fancy, yep. anything crazy. They were just excelled at the basics. And, um, you know, I had shared, I had done, you know, a talk uh, with Digital CPA 2019 with regards to how jujitsu made me a better consultant. And I, I know you practice martial arts and, and I wanted to, yeah, you know, I know it's probably been valuable to you in many ways and, and from business and dealing with people and wanted to kind of get your insight on that. It has. And Raphael, I got to say, I had forgotten for a moment our conversation a few weeks ago. And when I saw the prep bullet points and I saw you had martial arts, I'm like, wow, how good is Bitwave's research? This is, <laughs> this is it's, a, it's our oppo, our oppo research we keep on everybody. This is we have like to. really unbelievable. Well, so well I, Ron once kicked a kid really hard in third grade. So if we ever need something, we got uh, we got some stuff on don't it. Don't worry. We'll yeah, cut that'll that be out, my Ron. Nick. We'll cut that part out. Yeah, I... <laughs> Who, please let's edit that out. Um, so, I, no, and Raphael, I appreciate that. It's it's um, so for many many years I taught uh, Japanese martial art that you you know Raphael Aikido. Uh, I stopped practicing just before COVID because I had, because I had injured my knee and then COVID kicked in and then people really weren't getting together to do martial arts. I mean, I think the thing about martial arts and, and, and it's so impacted my life. It's impacted how I look at people I participate with in in the ecosystem in the industry. It's impacted how I look at teaching people who are younger than me about moving through uh, different capabilities and, and how they move up in, quote unquote, the ranks. And there's a couple of different ways to look at it. I I learned the most from martial arts and how it changed my perspective, not by being a student, but being a teacher. And, and one of the things I would argue, Raphael, you've probably seen this. And Pat, I don't know if you ever practiced, but I learned more by teaching things I had a solid foundation of 
than I ever did be by being a student trying to build that foundation. And it sounds like a weird thing to say, because once you teach, you need to understand the foundations without fail. You need to understand what's that framework and that foundation. What does it mean? Why does it do what it does? And Raphael, by way of example, in the early days of Bitcoin, one of the things I had the privilege of doing for some companies back in 2014, 2015, I'd teach executive level over summaries of what the heck is Bitcoin? What the heck is crypto? The other thing that martial arts had done for me, and Raphael, I'd be interested in you and Pat's perspective, um, it really reinforced not just the discipline of doing the work, no matter what work that is in the field of your life, but I had an interesting conversation. I think I read this somewhere. You know, when you when you look at students of different capabilities or arts, you'll see the frustration. Why can't I get this? Why do you, why are you able to do this, Raphael or Ron or Pat? And you know, it's taken me so long. And one of the answers that really impacted my life was uh, a teacher had told me uh, long ago. He said because I've failed more times than you've ever even tried. Yeah. And and in that context, like holy cow, just don't. Keep trying. Don't give up. And I see that in entrepreneurs and I see that in colleagues in, in crypto and blockchain and other industries as well. So it really informs my perspectives on how to interact with the world. Oh, yeah. I did uh, two weeks of ninjutsu. And uh, one of the warmups on ninjutsu is you you like, you like roll and then stand up and turn around in a fighting pose. Yeah. And uh, my knee kept popping out when I would do that. I don't know why. I, I don't Ouch. know if I have like weak knees or something. But every time I'd flip around, my knee would pop out and I'd have to like... So I, uh, I, w I didn't last very long and that was not, yeah. not the most fun thing in the world. That was a fun sport though. The, the, the one, the class at USC where I went, uh, they teach, they, the first thing they teach you is how to like, uh, uh, dislocate someone else's arm. It, ninjutsu okay. is kind of a different, I think it's a different, uh, martial art than maybe some of the more disciplined ones. Well, you know, it's interesting that because Aikido is a defensive martial art. There are yeah. no, technically no attacks in Aikido, which really points to Raphael. You had and I had this conversation around redirection. Like you can direct a conversation, you can direct um, the impact and the perspectives that people are, are throwing at you in a way that becomes more productive. Yeah, but I, I yeah. understand I agree on the, the high level, which is that, you know, the only way you get good at anything is by is by failing at it continuously. And it's one of those, yeah. it's again, getting back to the accountants and engineers uh, yeah. of this is that it's the, you know, you, you bash your head against problems for a very, very long time in both of these disciplines. And that's that's how you get good because you bash your head against a problem long enough, you eventually get to the point where you are able to you're you're able to solve it, and then you're able to kind of solve it the next time a lot faster. And yeah. you also know the patterns around like what got you to solve it. So yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there was a good point. I, that I'm we still not up. getting on the mat with Raphael though. No, <laughs> that, that, that the, the two 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 big things that I shared when I did that, you know, the takeaways that I had brought over into consulting and just business acumen was one was our instructor would always talk about it's not going with the flow it's flowing with the go and you have to be adaptive yeah whether you're account engineer anything in business you have to constantly be adaptive and you know flow with that and not try to go against the grain and, and just pivot uh and then you know another area is just you know under being under pressure constantly you have to be able to deal with that really well because um, you're under pressure constantly so just having different mindsets is all super important yeah rafael thing, things inflexible we all know br eventually break so be flexible yeah in every aspect, yeah. That, that leads us very nicely to uh, some of the thing we want to talk about, which is uh, speaking of flexibility, the regular, like current regulatory and standards oh. environment here, because that's that really has been the big news of the last probably like three three months. Here is is what's going to happen with the regulatory environment, and I'll even mention one thing that so we're we're recording this Jan twenty seventh, twenty twenty three, just yesterday. 
uh, Elizabeth Warren came out with another, you know, they, they put a lot of pressure on the industry in general. Elizabeth Warren just yesterday came out with a statement directed at, of all places, I mean, the, it's it's been really interesting seeing this because there's a lot of esoteric stuff in yeah. the world. And I'm not sure that the, the PCOAB, PCAOB gets mentioned in congressional hearings all that often. I mean, but for her, she came out yesterday with a very directed statement, or whatever, a couple of days ago, a very directed statement at the PCAOB about accounting uh, audit standards for these these firms. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you feel, Ron? How do you generally feel about the the regulatory environment right now? The various pressures. Yeah, I, I you know, I'll, let me disclaim this a little bit, Pat. Obviously, all of these are not financial just, advice. Not financial investment tax. On and on and on. They're not yeah. advice. It's just my personal opinion and not the WSPAs. But that being said, look, I, I think there are a lot of different forces here. You, you know, I think all of us agree investors need to be protected to the extent possible. Um, there, there, there really is a world where disclosures make sense. People should get disclosures uh, on where they're risking their money. I, I think this is also, and I know this is going to be more provocative than a lot of people here, but Pat, you've never shied away from provocative commentary. <laughs> Is, is is that look, I, this is I stand by my 2022 100k bitcoin prediction. I stand, stand, stand by it. <laughs> you know, but I agree with you. And you know, but a lot of this there there is clearly a land grab from a regulatory and legislative yeah. perspective. And I know that sounds like, you know, I'm not wishing for some entirely decentralized liber, libertarian world where everyone uh, is an individual. I mean, there are the, Parts of the world, you know, the world needs help, right? Individuals yeah. in, in the world do need help. So when I see, and if you if you look deeper into Elizabeth Warren's letter, and I forgot um, the other senator who co-signed it with her, when, well, they, when uh, Wagner, they, uh, Wagner from Oregon, what? Uh, yeah, uh, Wyden, Wyden, Wyden. Sorry, yeah. yeah. You know, when you when you kind of parse through the letter, when you look at the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board (PCAOB), Warren very particularly goes down into the depths and says, according to the regulations. Uh, that empower PCAOB, you're not doing your job and you're not doing yeah. your job because you're not policing the public companies as well as potentially private companies involved. And to me, without congressional authorization to do some of that stuff, that those rights to regulate don't exist. Yeah. Not necessarily saying they don't have a right or the SEC doesn't have a right. But to me, a lot of this feels like let's throw an entire blanket of regulatory stuff at this industry in a way to control it. Now, oh, no, I'll, I'll second that because I do think that, well, there's two, I'll, I'll say my inflammatory part first and my less inflammatory <laughs> second, but like a government organizations are incredibly incentivized to keep gray area. Like yeah. the second you put up, and that's, that's that's probably a good thing and a bad thing. Like it's a bad thing, and and like the second you really clearly define lines, uh, suddenly one group or another can't take some sort of action that they would otherwise. And so all of these guys are are uh, incentivized. If you think about your fiefdom in a in a government regulatory area, and you think about the the risk map of the world that you control, like yeah. the gray area is where is where you and other uh, other regulatory bodies over overlap. The second that there's clarity there, you suddenly can't do enforcement actions in that particular area. Right. And so that's that A makes you as a public figure less enticing or like you as a public figure, which most of the heads of these agencies are to some extent. Mm -hmm. If you suddenly cannot take action in a particular area, your powers diminish, you you have less chance for for you know publicity and things like that. So there is there is this aspect that the gray area is very helpful to them. But then also like there's legitimate gray area here. <laughs> like there is yeah. very legitimate gray area between the CFPB, like the the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the PCAOB, the SEC, the the FTC. Like all these guys have a legitimate 
gray area here. So. Right. Yeah, and you know, one example that we see on a regular basis is the Securities and Exchange Commission. You know, I, I had a, a, a lawyer friend who is very deep in the regulatory space and has been for many years. When I raised this question with him, his, you know, and I talked about what, why doesn't the SEC put forward clear guidance, clear directions on what is or isn't a security? Why, why cherry pick eight or nine security, to, sorry, tokens that are being listed on Coinbase for insider <laughs> trading, whatever it may be, and not the other? Some others. of that stuff is so bizarre. It really, right. it really was. Like, it really was so bizarre from the outside perspective. Yeah. Right. And his answer to that was, and, and I, you and I agree on this point, was they want that gray area, gray area because it allows them to continue to do the enforcement that they do. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, regulators aren't incentivized to to help innovation right they're incentivized to tamp it down in the name of the protections they claim to want to do and you could flip that around, argument around a little bit and pat you and i get pretty passionate about this and i think we both see this eye to eye since the sec has started regulating in the way it has without providing some of the guidance people have literally asked for trillions of dollars of investor money has evaporated has flown out yeah and and, it and, feel, and it feels it, it honestly it feels because there is a there's a precept in in common law yep. of you know, you the laws have to be a set. Like it, it is generally a bad idea to have retrospective laws, right. and unfortunately, enforcement through uh, a regulate regulation through enforcement is a form of retrospective law if there's if there's a lack of clarity. So that's something that there you know I you don't have to be a hardcore libertarian Bitcoin maxi to yeah. to think that it's not good to enforce through regulation. Like yeah. we should be or to regulate through enforcement. You should be enforcing regu clear regulation yeah and that and that always like, gets me with like the pcaob is that i do think that they you know we talked we talked about this a little because we, we just did this this webinar on fasb and we did we talked about a lot which is like you know there's a world where this is very fast like there is a world you know options have been around for 150 years or longer i mean when, yeah. when was the east india trading company like they had options like 400 years ago yeah these things have been around for 400 years and it took until like 1997 or whatever it was to actually have like clear clear pricing uh guidance on options so to be able to go from I'm, I'm, all the numbers there were all of the dates there were wrong so i apologize uh uh before any any we're letters come in. <laughs> um but the to then have the other side of this be that we went from a, a completely new financial instrument in 2009 to yeah. you know clear regulation ho hopefully coming out in 2023. Well, we've we've gotten faster than than 500 years, so that's moving moving up. Well, you know, and the the, the, the pace of innovation continues to accelerate. Yeah. Right, it's it's not a linear curve for the pace of innovation. So, you know, one of the challenges in the wake of that is regulators and legislators around the world. It doesn't matter how efficient they are; they they can't keep up. The thing the the thing that I really dislike is this kind of blanket perspective on the part of a lot of legislators that, well, all of this innovation, all of this technology is simply meant for you know terrorists and money launderers and tax evaders. I mean, I have I have accounting friends to this day, Pat. We're like, well, you know, Bitcoin's really for tax evasion, right? Come on, Ron, stop, stop kidding. Like, <laughs> why, no, why are no, we all lying to ourselves? Like, we're just, we're just all here evading taxes, right? You know? And and I find that so to be such a myopic perspective on the innovation that it's always very frustrating. Well, we, I, I will say, we we keep a list internally. So there's, it, it, this is kind of a funny thing, but like, there are companies that that we try to sell to and we go through and maybe we lose a deal or whatever it is, and that's that's fine. Like that happens. There are companies that like we try to sell to and we never get a call back. We never get any engagement. They don't care. Mm -hmm. And I and I'll say one of those because they were not a customer of ours was FTX. We're like we yeah you know, we tried selling to them. We called them. We we called on them. We had um, interactions with like you know higher ups there. 
and they yeah. just never really cared about yeah. this. And so yeah. like, there is that aspect. You're like, you know, most of the people that are our customers do care about this. Like they are making a good right. faith effort to do this correctly. Uh, but there, of course, are people that are uh, not. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we we keep a little list internally of the companies that like it's not just that they that we lost a deal it's that like they just like won't even talk to us which always strikes me as very weird because we have you know the a tool designed for yeah. like exchanges and things like this at this point to help them track their internal liabilities versus assets and all of that so if they're not talking to us like they're it's it's hard to build this stuff yourself I mean it's it yeah. really is uh so yeah it's, a, it's an interesting one <laughs> you guys have been at it for how many years now building this stuff so we, we the first fingers were on keyboard uh late 2017 early 2018 yeah. somewhere in that range so I mean, we've been doing this for five five going on six years i mean it, it doesn't feel that long and honestly my my co-founder yeah. and i we bootstrapped it for the first three years because we didn't you know in 20 2018 it wasn't at all obvious it's still in 2018 was not at all obvious this was a real thing yeah. right like it's still all of this might have gone away so i was you know it was my co-founder and i she did sales and marketing and i did the engineering i just i you know and then i i had a day job doing other stuff also i was a, yeah. a chief architect for a company called five nine and uh or uh, consulting chief architect um and uh you know, we just sort of plotted along waiting for it. And then we, where things really took up for us was during the pandemic. I mean, yeah. the pandemic was sort of that, that huge uptick in crypto companies and, and innovation, all that stuff. And that's when, that's when we started hiring people and, and all of that. Yeah. yeah. It's not easy to build from scratch, but when you see those, those sales targets that, you know, if they don't understand, you can educate, right, Pat? If they don't want it because they don't want that service and you're talking about an exchange that needs that kind of reporting, Makes you want to step back and say, I probably don't want those people as a customer. It, it, it is. It's it's really interesting. It really was interesting that like that because we we've seen that with a couple of of exchanges like that or a couple of yeah. these different like companies that have, that have had problems where they were not. We have, to my knowledge, we haven't had any Bitwave client that went through one of those one of those types of situations. Yeah. Uh, we have a couple now that have gone through it and then came to us either through their auditors or through their liquidators or whoever it was yeah uh but we don't have anyone who went through that and, I, and there, there's that's notable because you know you either care about the stuff or you don't and you either have controls and you're thinking about it that way or you're, or you're not which is yeah. yeah but and that's why i'm so excited about this the new wsba initiative uh because i think there is a lot of stuff here to be defining I think there is stuff here to be defining best practices for the crypto industry. And okay. I think there's things here to be defining best practices for us, for the financial services industry. Because they are, it's going to be one and the same. Like today we think about it as different. Five, 10 years from now, every single bank, every single iBank, every single investment, TD Ameritrade, you name it, they yeah. will all have crypto and they will all have digital assets. And you will get to this point, which, so getting back to the earlier point I made, like you will get to this point where... The, someone like TD Ameritrade, they're, they're, this is totally speculative. I have no inside information or anything like this. Yeah. But someone like TD Ameritrade could have digital assets and they could go through a process of publishing a polar, like a polar report. So having their, their, their yeah. uh, proof of their liabilities and proof of reserves as all published. And then suddenly it does actually become kind of weird. Like, well, hey, we have all this transparency into you over here. We have no idea what you're doing over on this. Like, are you naked short selling? Are you like, what are you doing over on this side of the world? And suddenly you start to get more pressure to even open up transparency there. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in transparency. If, if nothing else, like I'm a big believer in transparency. I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, to me, the example is like if everyone's got this, well, you know, digital assets and crypto will totally overthrow TradFi, right? You know, that's not, that's not realistic. And we don't live in that world. Credit cards didn't overthrow the use of currency. I mean, arguably, I don't remember the last time I had a 
dollar bill in my hand. But that being said, <laughs> it was, you know, I, I, had to, I had to borrow 20 bucks from my mom to tip somebody because <laughs> I literally like my, right. my mom still keeps cash and I don't. It was just it was like, <laughs> right. But, you know, and, and that, that comparison is for a good half of a century, people still had cash and then credit cards. Yeah. That I think there'll be a parallel kind of evolution with with traditional finance and what we're looking at in the crypto world. I think that there's uh, companies will die because of this. I don't. I don't like. What's the right way to say it? Like, tradfi companies that do not adapt will have significant problems. Great. But I don't think that that's a blanket statement that every tradfi company will not be able to adapt. Like I don't, I think that most of them are pretty savvy. Like you know, financial services companies are the capitalist capitalists. Like these are people that are, they might be conservative in some ways, but boy, do they know how money and how money works. Yeah. And so when they see a, a world where they're threatened by it, like we have seen, we've been seeing more uptake and more more interest from the traditional finance companies yeah. because they are sc legitimately scared of it. And in the same way. To, to bring us back to more to, to modern events in the same way that like Google, you know, just declared a code red internally, which is where they like resource, they, they realign all of their resources and shut down yep. projects and do everything to work on it, to work on uh, the chat GPT stuff. Yep. Because I, I don't know about you, like the first time I used chat GPT and I asked it a question and it just showed me and just told me the answer. Like, I'm like, Oh, Google's totally screwed. And so like, <laughs> uh, as that's the same with, with these guys is the first time that you send a uh, million dollars across borders with no Forex slippage fees and, and for seven cents on Polygon, boy, you know, the, the different companies that rely on that arbitrage, they got to be pretty scared. And yeah. so that's, that's the stuff where either they'll, they'll adapt or, or they won't. Yeah. And look, there's a very different thing between the, the CEO of JP Morgan calling crypto or Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Or he's he's Bitcoin. always real cagey. He always says Bitcoin. Like he hates yeah. Bitcoin. He likes, he likes crypto. Yeah, but you, we all know, and they've been very public about the fact that there are probably 100 people working on different implementations of blockchain and financial services because it's a strategic choice. They yep. have to. They don't want to be the last buggy whip company this, because yeah. horse and carriages are going away. I'm sorry, Rafael. Go ahead. <laughs> no, this, this has been an amazing conversation. One thing I did want to I want to close on and get your, you know, just your perspectives on either, either of you uh, or both of you is kind of what... What is inspiring you right now or what is currently inspiring you in this space, in the future of this space? So I, I so there are a couple of things, you know, I, I, everyone's been complaining about bankruptcies and I get it and it's pretty traumatic. Builders are still building. I really love some of the building work that's happening around identity. Yeah. I really love some of the work that's beginning to really bear fruit, at least from a proof of concept or conceptualization perspective on tokenization. Um, you know, people can joke all they want about NFTs and they can joke all the, the, there, there is a clear picture on the horizon of a world where tokenization makes the world better from the perspective of value transfer. I'd love to be able to sell my house in a day and not have to wait 60 days for a closing. Yeah. And I know that's kind of a, 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 an oft used example, but that example in every implementation of it and every iteration of it from friction perspective happens billions of times a day, every day, all over the world. So I think there's a lot of great stuff there. I think, you know, everyone says Web3. I think people are still working on what the heck do we mean by Web3? <laughs> and there'll be a point in the future where we realize, oh, that's what we meant by Web3. And that is empowered in many ways by by different types of crypto assets or, um, uh, or blockchain technology. I, and I'll add one last thing to that. And Pat, I'd love your perspective on this. I won't do price predictions, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone everyone looks at the, the vast major, majority of crypto assets and says, crap, 
going to hell, should go to zero, whatever. But there will be a core that will have a use case that I will I think will make lots of fortunes, but also make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great that's a great answer. I like I like tokenization a lot. That's my my theory. Uh so uh, I still do price predictions, but I don't know. I guess my, my other price prediction is, is Bitcoin to, to $100,000 at some point. I just don't, I just can't put a, a, a real pin in it. Um, I the, the prediction that I like to do is I like to, uh, to, to do, I call it the summer of prediction, hmm. which is if you think about like, so, you know, Ron, you and I met 2019, something like that. Yeah. Um, 2020 was a summer of DeFi. Yep. DeFi was just, it was, it was the thing. That was what we were all doing. It was the new hotness. It was amazing. 2021 was a summer of NFTs. That was pandemic year. 2021 was, you know, Magic Eden, OpenSea, all these guys. It was absolute craziness around NFTs. Uh, I like to say 2022 was the summer of winter, which is like all we could talk about over the whole summer was just the the crypto winter. And that's literally the only thing we talk about. That's right. Um, I'd be interested to hear your prediction, but but maybe we are the same. Is it my prediction is that 23 will be the summer of, of tokenization? Like I have kind of a deep belief that by the end of this year, uh, we're gonna see the ability to buy anything from let's say Coca-Cola stock to houses to Porsches, you know, all of, we'll be able to buy all of those on chain uh with kind of a high level of of you know certainty and and uh and assurance and things like that so my yeah. my prediction is 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 around tokenization that's not actually i wouldn't say that that's exactly uh what my what keeps me so inspired by this industry i mean what keeps me inspired always comes back to the friction like i mm. i love DeFi. i think DeFi yeah. is the single like the so for i don't know if people know the history or not but like uh, Vitalik Buterin wrote the first AMM white paper, which was how to how basically how to do automatic market making when you don't have dis- when you can't do discrete time based like the way normal market making works is you you at a nanosecond level you're putting and taking bu- making make and take orders at a really high level yep. you can't do that on the blockchain it's too expensive it's too slow moving so you have to have these mechanisms where where you have like a formula that dictates a, a pool that you can kind of use so he wrote that for his wife but like I I actually fundamentally believe that he should probably get a a, a Nobel Prize in economics for it because it's so it is so fundamental to how the world is going to change. So yeah. what gets me inspired is actually um, this is this is not meant to be flipped for any of the people who lost money on FTX because it was a horrific tragedy. Yeah. I wish it had not happened. But at the end of the day, like I I don't like centralized exchanges in that way. Yeah. Like I like DeFi. I think DeFi is a lot of the future of a lot of these things. And I think that you know you either have you know companies like Coinbase, which are great, which are like regulated, very transparent in the U.S., open to regulation, yeah. or you have or you have DeFi. The that's what gets me. So I'm I'm excited to see a new wave of DeFi innovation, which I think we've got coming down the pike here. Pat, I I. I- Agree with that in large measure. I do want to ask you one thing though, because you, you brought it up. I, you know, and we, a lot of people have looked at FTX and the other failures. I'm going to say something. And I want to tell you. Tell me. Tell me if you agree. FTX had nothing to do with crypto. FTX was not. It was no. FTX was not a crypto company. FTX. So it, even even the history of it, right? FTX started because, and this this like drives me insane. Yes. It started because SBF was doing arbitrage. Yep. And he was doing crypto arbitrage and he was annoyed at the lack of uh, derivative instruments that he could get on crypto in yep. the other exchanges. So he decided to make an exchange to create newer, crazier derivative instruments. The second you are doing derivatives on crypto, you're it's a derivative shop. It's not a crypto. It's not crypto. It's not any of these other things. It's a derivative shop. Right. 
It drives me nuts. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and and the the alleged fraud, again, let's, you know, in, in the sake of fairness, because that's going to trial, <clears throat> it, it could have happened with anything. Yeah. And the, the market portrayed it, <clears throat> sorry, the mainstream media portrayed it as crypto's bad. Look, and my argument has been it has nothing to do with crypto. Yeah. Hundred percent. It was. I mean, it's, it's. It was Enron. It was WorldCom. It was. It was uh, Lehman Brothers. It was all the same thing. It was. Yeah. It, 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 it. This. It's. It's sort of the world that the, it is. What annoys me most is that it was a. It was a Wall Street. It was. It was a Wall Street failure repackaged as a crypto failure, which right. which just annoys me uh, to absolutely no end. But yeah, what what, what are you what are you gonna do? <laughs> it is what it is, my friend. The, 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 the people who dissent will uh, constantly come back and say it's all bad. Yep. Well, yep. Ron, you've been an amazing. Did we blow up your agenda, Rafael? No, no. We're, no <laughs> what is your agenda? <laughs> this has been amazing. This has been uh, really, really great from both insights from both of you. And you know, Ron, I want to get your information on how can anyone reach you if they want to learn more about WSPA, learn about the initiatives that you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, www.wsba.co, not .com, uh, info at wsba.co. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. We have our company page there. We're on Twitter. Uh, at Wall Street BTC, um, drop us a note. Check in. We're happy to share information. The, the, we're grateful for Bitwave being members, but we're also grateful that you guys are all going to participate in this kind of principles project. I think a principled-based approach will accelerate a lot of the things Pat, you and I've been talking about. Yeah, and, and I think that's important. And as many voices that we can have at the table helping that, we, we look forward to it. Yep, hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. How can I, how can everyone reach you, Pat, as well? Yeah, we're at uh, bitwave.io. Uh, come in and learn all about us. And I'm at Pat White on, on Twitter. I don't really tweet all that much. I, <laughs> yeah. But uh, at, we are uh, bitwave, bitwave.io. Come in uh, and learn all about us. And then I'll, I'll do a plug here really quickly. Uh, you know, as part of this, uh, we have a conference coming up um, at uh, the end of uh, at the, the uh, end of April. So April 24th, 25th in uh, Austin, Texas, coinciding with consensus called Enterprise Digital Asset Summit. So if you are doing anything with uh, digital assets and you are a business, then you are welcome. So we will have everyone there from accountants, tax people, product people, uh, technologists, you know, anyone touching digital assets, this is a conference for you. We have a bit of a slant, obviously, because of our of our of Bitwave, we have a bit of a slant towards accounting. So like last year, someone gave an awesome presentation uh, all about doing an ASC 606 analysis. Like literally, it was a 20-minute uh, ASC 606 analysis on uh, staking rewards and whether it was a derivative or whether you should be doing deferred revenue recognition of it, how, how slashings worked. Uh, so if that's the kind of thing that would interest you, if you are the kind of person that would enjoy a you know, half hour uh, ASC 606 presentation on a really esoteric part of crypto. Uh, this is your your conference. So uh, you can go to edas, E-D-A-S, edas.live to learn more about that as well. Pat, I may have to go just for the swag. My wife stole my Bitwave t-shirt. She says it's the best t-shirt she has. So Our t-shirts are awesome. They're I awesome. love our t-shirts. <laughs> we, have the best. we got new, uh, we got new uh, 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 hoodies too. So nice. <laughs> Ron, you better, you better be there, buddy. Let us know if you need the ticket. <laughs> I'll be there, my friend. I'm looking forward. We're overdue for a drink. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for tuning in to our podcast today. And uh, you can look for us on several different areas that will be linked up into the podcast. So Thanks, everyone. Have a great day and talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.